Edith Swanneck. Monsieur Dudouis started as though he had received a shock, and in a voice that betrayed his excitement. But look here, that, that's preposterous. Why? Come, think for yourself. Go on, Chief, say what's on your mind. Nonsense. What do you mean? Go on, Chief. It's impossible. How can Spamiento have been Lupin's accomplice? Ganimar gave a little chuckle. Exactly. Arsene Lupin's accomplice. That explains everything. During the night, while the three detectives were downstairs watching, or sleeping, rather, for Colonel Sparmiento had given them champagne to drink, and perhaps doctored it beforehand, the said colonel took down the hangings and passed them out through the window of his bedroom. The room is on the second floor and looks out on another street, which was not watched because the lower windows are walled up. Monsieur Dudouis reflected and then shrugged his shoulders. It's preposterous, he repeated. Why? Why? Because... If the colonel had been Arsène Lupin's accomplice, he would not have committed suicide after achieving his success. Who says he committed suicide? Why, he was found dead on the railway tracks. I told you, there is no such thing as death with Lupin. Still, this was, still, this was genuine enough. Besides, Madame Spamiento identified the body. I thought you would say that, chief. The argument worried me, too. There was I, all of a sudden, with three people in front of me instead of one. First, Arsene Lupin, cracksman. Secondly, Colonel Sparmiento, his accomplice. Thirdly, a dead man. Spare us. It was too much of a good thing. Ganimard took a bundle of newspapers, untied it, and handed one of them to Monsieur Dudouis. You remember, Chief, last time you were here, I was looking through these papers. I wanted to see if something had not happened at that period that might bear upon the case and confirm my supposition. Please read this paragraph. Mr. Dudwee took the paper and read aloud. Our Lille correspondent informs us that a curious incident has occurred in that town. A corpse had disappeared from the local morgue. A corpse of a man unknown who threw himself under the wheels of a steam tram car on the day before. No one is able to suggest a reason for this disappearance. Mr. Dudwee sat thinking and then asked, So, you believe... I've just come from Lille, replied Ganimar, and my inquiries leave no doubt in my mind. The corpse was removed on the same night on which Colonel Sparmiento gave his housewarming. It was taken straight to Ville d'Avray by motor car, and the car remained near the railway line until the evening. Near the tunnel, therefore. Next to it, chief. So that the body that was found is merely that body, dressed in Colonel Sparmiento's clothes. Precisely, chief. Then Colonel Spamiento is not dead. No more dead than you or I, Chief. But then why all these complications? Why the theft of one tapestry followed by its recovery, followed by the theft of the twelve? Why that housewarming? Why that disturbance? Why everything? Your story won't hold water, Ganimar. Only because you, Chief, like myself, have stopped halfway. Because strange as the story already sounds, we must still go farther, very much farther, in the direction of the improbable and the astounding. And why not, after all? Remember, we're dealing with Arsene Lupin. With him, is it not always just the improbable and the astounding that we must look for? Must we not always go straight for the maddest suppositions? And when I say the maddest, I am using the wrong word. On the contrary, 
The whole thing is wonderfully logical and so simple that a child could understand it. Confederates only betray you. Why employ confederates when it is so easy and so natural to act for yourself, by yourself, with your own hands, and by the means within your own reach? You say it. You saying? What are you saying? cried Monsieur Dudouis in a sort of sing-song voice and a tone of bewilderment that increased with each separate exclamation. Ganimard gave a fresh chuckle. Takes your breath away, chief. Doesn't it? So it did mine. On the day when you came to see me here, and when the notion was beginning to grow upon me, I was flabbergasted with astonishment. And yet I've had experience of my customer. I know what he's capable of. But this, no. No, this was a bit too stiff. It's impossible. It's impossible, said Monsieur Dudouis in a low voice. On the contrary, Chief, it's quite possible, and quite logical, and quite normal. It's the threefold incarnation of one and the same individual. The schoolboy would solve the problem in a minute by a simple process of elimination. Take away the dead man. There remains Sparmiento and Lupin. Take away Sparmiento. Mains Lupin, the chief detective. Yes, chief. Lupin. Simply. Lupin. In five letters and two syllables. Lupin. Taken out of his Brazilian skin. Lupin. Revived from the dead. Lupin translated for the past six months into Colonel Sparmiento, traveling in Brittany, hearing of the discovery of these twelve tapestries, buying them, planning the theft of the best of them, so as to draw attention to himself, Lupin, and divert it from himself, Sparmiento. Next, he brings about, in full view of the gaping public, a noisy contest between Lupin and Sparmiento, or Sparmiento and Lupin, plots and gives the housewarming party, terrifies his guests, and, when everything is ready, arranges for Lupin to steal Sparmiento's tapestries, and for Sparmiento, Lupin's victim, to disappear from sight and die, unsuspected, unsuspectable, regretted by his friends, pitied by the public, and leaving behind him to pocket the profits of the swindle. Ganimar stopped, looked the chief in the eyes and, in a voice that emphasized the importance of his words, concluded, leaving behind him disconsolate widow. Sparmiento? You really believe? Hang it all, said the chief inspector. People don't work up a whole business of this sort without seeing something ahead of them. Solid profits. Profits, it seems to me, lie in the sale of the tapestries which Lupin will affect in America or elsewhere. First of all, yes, Colonel Sparmiento could affect that sale just as well, and even better. So there's something more. More? Come, Chief. Forgetting that Colonel Sparmiento has been the victim of an important robbery, that though he may be dead, at least his widow remains. So it's his widow who will get the money. What money? Why the money due to her? The insurance money, of course. Mr. Dudwee was staggered. The whole business suddenly became clear to him with its real meaning. He muttered, It's true. That's true. The colonel had insured the tapestries. Rather, and for no trifle, either. For how much? Eight hundred thousand francs. Thousand? Just so, in five different companies. Has Madame Sparmiento had the money? She got 150,000 francs yesterday and 200,000 today while I was away. The remaining payments are to be made in the course of this week. 
this is terrible. You ought to have... What, Chief? To begin with, they took advantage of my absence to settle up accounts with the companies. I only heard about it on my return when I ran up against an insurance manager whom I happened to know and took the opportunity of drawing him out. The chief detective was silent for some time, not knowing what to say. He mumbled. Namor nodded his head. Yes, chief, a blackguard. But I can't help saying, a devil of a clever fellow. For his plan to succeed, he must have managed it in such a way that for four or five weeks no one could express or even conceive the least suspicion of the part played by Colonel Sparmiento. All the indignation and all the inquiries had to be concentrated upon Lupin alone. In the last resort, people had to find themselves faced simply with a mournful, pitiful, penniless widow, poor Edith Swanneck, a beautiful and legendary vision, a creature so pathetic that the gentlemen of the insurance companies were almost glad to place something in her hands to relieve her poverty and her grief. He wanted... The two men were close together and did not take their eyes from each other's faces. The chief asked, Sonia Krichnov. Krichnov? Yes, the Russian girl whom I arrested last year at the time of the theft of the coronet and whom Lupin helped to escape. Are you sure? Absolutely. I was put off the scent, like everyone else, by Lupin's machinations and had paid no particular attention to her. But when I knew the part that she was playing, I remembered. She's certainly Sonia, metamorphosed into an Englishwoman. Sonia, the most innocent-looking and the trickiest of actresses. Sonia, who would not hesitate to face death for love of Lupin. Good capture, Ganimard, said Monsieur Dudouis approvingly. I have something better still for you, chief. Lupin's old foster mother. Victoire. She's been here since Madame Sparmiento began playing the widow. She's the cook. Oh, said Monsieur Dudouis. Congratulations, Ganimard. I've something for you, Chief, that's even better than that. Monsieur Dudouis gave a start. The inspector's hand clutched his and was shaking with excitement. What do you mean, Ganimard? Do you think, Chief, that I would have brought you here at this late hour if I had nothing more attractive to offer you than Sonia and Victoire? Pah, they'd have kept. To say, whispered Monsieur Dudouis at last, understanding the Chief Inspector's agitation. The Chief. He's here. Not a bit of it, simply in disguise. He's the man servant. This time, Monsieur Dudouis did not utter a word, nor make a gesture. Lupin's audacity. Ganimard chuckled. It's no longer a threefold, but a fourfold incarnation. Edith Swanneck might have blundered. The master's presence was necessary, and he had cheek to return. Three weeks he's been beside me during my inquiry. Do you recognize him? Doesn't recognize him. The knack of making up his face and altering the proportions of his body so as to prevent anyone from knowing him. Besides, I was miles from suspecting. This evening, watching Sonia in the shadow of the stairs, I heard Victoire speak to the manservant and call him Deary. A light flashed in upon me. Deary. That was what she always used to call him. And I knew where I was. Monsieur Dudouis seemed flustered in his turn by the presence of the enemy, 
so often pursued and always so intangible. Caught him this time, he said between his teeth. We've caught him. Can't escape us. No, chief, he can't. Neither he nor the two women. Sonia and Victoire on the second floor. Lupin is on the third. Monsieur Dury suddenly became anxious. Why, it was through the windows of one of those floors that the tapestries were passed when they disappeared. That's so, chief. In that case, Lupin can get away too. In that case, Lupin can get away too. The windows look out on the Rue du Frenois. The windows look out on the Rue du Frenois. Of course they do, chief, but I've taken my precautions. The moment you arrived, I sent four of our men to keep watch under the windows in the Rue du Frenois. They have strict instructions to shoot if anyone appears at the windows and looks like coming down. Blank cartridges for the first shot, ball cartridges for the next. Good, Ganimard. You've thought of everything. We'll wait here, and immediately after sunrise. Wait, Chief? Stand on ceremony with that rascal? Bother about rules and regulations, legal hours, and all that rot. And suppose he's not quite so polite to us and gives us the slip, meanwhile. Suppose he plays us one of his Lupin tricks. No, no, we must have no nonsense. We've got him, let's collar him, and without delay. And Ganimar, all a-quiver with indignant impatience, went out, walked across the garden, and presently returned with half a dozen men. It's all right, chief. I've told them in the Rue du Frenois to get their revolvers out and aim at the windows. Come along. These alarms and excursions had not been effected without a certain amount of noise, which was bound to be heard by the inhabitants of the house. Monsieur Dudry felt that his hand was forced. He made up his mind to act. Come on, then. The thing did not take long. The eight of them, browning pistols in hand, went up the stairs with overmuch precaution, eager to surprise Lupin before he had time to organize his defenses. Open the door, roared Ganimar, rushing at the door of Madame Sparmiento's bedroom. The policeman smashed it in with his shoulder. There was no one in the room, and no one in Victoire's bedroom either. They're all upstairs, shouted Ganimar. They've all gone up to Lupin in his attic. Be careful now. All eight ran up the third flight of stairs. To his great astonishment, Ganimard found the door of the attic open, and the attic empty. And the other rooms were empty, too. Blast them! he cursed. What's become of them? The chief called him. Monsieur Dudouis, who had gone down again to the second floor, noticed that one of the windows was not latched, but just pushed to. There, he said to Ganimard, that's the road they took. The road of the tapestries. I told you as much. The Rue du Frenois. But our men would have fired on them, protested Ganimard, grinding his teeth with rage. The street's guarded. They must have gone before the street was guarded. They were all three of them in their rooms when I rang you up, chief. They must have gone while you were waiting for me in the garden. Why? Why? There was no reason why they should go today, rather than tomorrow, or the next day, or next week for that matter, when they had pocketed all the insurance money. Yes, there was a reason. And Ganimar knew it when he saw on the table a letter addressed to himself. He opened it and read it. The letter was worded in the style of the testimonials which one hands to people in one's service who has given one satisfaction. I... The undersigned Arsène Lupin, gentleman burglar, ex-colonel, ex-man of all work, ex-corpse, hereby certify that the person of the name of Ganimard, 
gave proof of the most remarkable qualities during his stay in this house. He was exemplary in his behavior, thoroughly devoted and attentive, and, unaided by the least clue, he foiled a part of my plans and saved the insurance company's 450,000 francs. I congratulate him, and I am quite willing to overlook his blunder in not anticipating that the downstairs telephone communicates with a telephone in Sonia Krichnov's bedroom, and that, when telephoning to Monsieur Chief Detective, he was at the same time telephoning to me to clear out as fast as I could. It was a pardonable slip, which must not be allowed to dim the glamour of his services, nor to detract from the merits of his victory. Having said this, I beg him to accept the homage of my admiration and of my sincere friendship. Arsène Lupin